everyone. Welcome back to Gen Z's Digital Decalogue. I'm your guest host, Kate Kovac, and we have another innovator that I'd love to introduce you to. This project hits home for me on such a personal level. I know that the world must be hungry for this type of solution because we have a lot to learn from others. And before I spoil anything, I would just love to introduce our next guest. Soraya Walters is a recent graduate from the University of Pennsylvania with a BS in Marketing and Management. She is a humanitarian leader with a desire to use her knowledge to move the world forward. She is also the founder of Still Knowing and is a 2023 innovator. We'll be hearing more about Still Knowing today. Soraya, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Really excited to be here and talk more about Still Knowing and my story as well. Cool. Nice. I'm yeah, I'm so excited. Generally what we do, we have like a quick, like kind of rapid fire questions. I'm just going to hit you with because we want to get to know you just a little bit better. Um, and then we'll jump right into the burning questions that we might have. So to start off sunrise or sunset. So this changed throughout my life. Um, mm -hmm. most of the time I was a sunset person, but I think after undergrad, jumping into entrepreneurship, I've become a sunrise person. I think I really do. Um, I, I'm like the 5 a.m. club <laughs> aspirant wow. right now. Um, not necessarily, I'm not there, but I've like gradually been waking up earlier and earlier and earlier because I really do value having that time to myself in the morning to think. Uh, I still live with all of my family, so I'm real family oriented. Mm -hmm. And that can be hard because once wakes up, it's super noisy. So I really do value that early morning work session because I think that's where I do deep thinking. Nice. Okay. So then you're kind of shifted more so into a morning person now. Yeah. Have to be. Yeah. Okay. That's, I admire you because I'm a night owl and I wish I could, because I feel like you have more hours in your day because you're waking up sooner. So mm -hmm. I'm trying, trying to be like you, <laughs> yeah. um, what's worse laundry or dishes? Honestly, the answer is neither because I, <laughs> when it comes to my to-do list, I just get it done. But okay. if I, if I could like delegate one thing for the rest of my life, it would mm -hmm. definitely be laundry Okay, um, because it takes me a while. Like while I don't mind doing it every time I do it, it takes me a long time. Like I like to make sure I have all of the nice smelling crystals and the dryer yep. sheets and the right bag for the um, white clothes versus mm -hmm. the colored clothes. Mm -hmm. And then I have the laundry sanitizer versus the bleach. And then I can be very, um, maybe because I was raised by a nurse, I can be very like, I don't want to say type A when it comes to laundry, but I do have high standards when it comes to laundry. Yeah. I would, if I could give that to someone, yes, I would. So I would definitely feel like laundry is worse than dishes for me. Got it. Okay, cool. Do you prefer phone calls or text messages? Man. I feel like both serve their purpose right now at this phase in my life. I prefer texts just because I think I like to know why you're contacting me before we hop on the phone. Mm -hmm. But I will say I like that. Um, I'm better at communicating over the phone, excuse me, than over text. hundred yeah. percent. I yeah. think over text, I'm pretty dry, which is kind of like surprising, but I'm always like, I text you so we can meet up or so we can talk further versus like have a whole conversation over text. I don't really have whole conversations over text. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then if you were working a four day week, which hopefully that's going to become a thing, um, what day would you take off Monday or Friday and why? 
So I actually try to do this when I can. And most of the time it's Fridays. So I grew up in Seventh-day Adventist schools and we're going to get to this, but their Sabbath is from Friday night to Saturday night. So one thing I like to do, even though I wasn't Seventh-day and I'm not Seventh-day Adventist, I like to recognize the Sabbath. Um, So Friday is the day where I try not to do as much work. Um, I try to just take a break. Also, my Monday through Thursday is always very hectic. So I definitely would say Friday, that's me. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. And then here's our last question. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of technology and social media? It's a phrase, not necessarily a thing. Mm. It's a phrase, but it's this thing of communal isolation, Mm. which really is a paradox. So we have community, but we're still isolated. Um, And I like to call it like the New York City effect. You're surrounded by people, but you still feel lonely. I think that's what I think of when I first think of social media. I think of how we're surrounded by people. And for some reason, we have people at our fingertips, but our relationships are not of the same quality Mm -hmm. um, or of a high quality. We still feel lonely, even when taking pictures with others and being on the gram with others and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I think of this like communal isolation concept, which is really paradoxical because it's not really a thing, but it is a thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That is such a beautiful answer. I I couldn't agree more. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I think, um, as you mentioned, growing up as Seventh-day Adventists, um, I, we would like to get to know a little bit more about that too. And I think we'll kind of unearth some of that as we talk more about still knowing. So what is still knowing and what is your role within your, the project? Yeah. So really excited to say that still knowing was recently accepted to a startup school. So it's officially becoming, it's becoming a startup. Um, but it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to become a startup and they're, I'm going to design the product and everything. So it's, it's a bit new for me. Mm-hmm. But um, still knowing is going to be a digital community and platform where we connect um, faith seekers, we connect those who are already um, involved in a faith and spiritual community with the mental health resources, support and community of individuals that are seeking the same questions about how to navigate this intersection of faith and mental health, which is really like a gray it's a gray area for a lot of people. And I think the the task of this is making it tangible for people, making it accessible for people. I always said, well, when you become an adult, sometimes you've realized the faith that you were raised in is not necessarily what you align with the most, or even the mental health beliefs that you were raised with are not necessarily what you align with the most. So where do you find a a platform where we combine both in an accessible manner, um, designed and centered around education, centered around different things and ways in which you can access these resources. So that's really what um, Still Knowing is and will be. So then what would, what would you say was your biggest motivating factor to create and develop Still Knowing? I think it's just my own upbringing and also my time in college, which made me realize that There's a lot of problems in the faith world, the mental health world, and then also when you apply this issue to youth. So I grew up not Seventh-day Adventist per se, but I grew up going to Seventh-day Adventist schools. So Mm -hmm. my middle school and my high school were both religious and we would have these weekly like seminars, we call them chapels, conversations about God and faith and all of these things. And I remember how a lot of my classmates and my peers in those schools had some really tough lives. So it was one of those schools, um, the church would sponsor some students to attend. So we had some really like low income students 
at those schools, um, everyone did not have the money to pay the tuition. Some people were sponsored by their church. So a lot of them had some pretty tough lives, but I saw how they gained a sense of a sense of solace and a sense of calm um, at these services. And I began to realize from that young age, so I started high school at 13, I began to realize that um, faith is good for your mental health, that having something to believe in is good for your mental health. And when we put everything on ourselves, we put our circumstances on ourselves, it's often what drives us to become depressed, to become anxious, because we don't have any sort of higher power or any sort of spiritual belief to release that pressure to. So that's the first thing. Um, then I began to contrast that with my time at Penn. So I started Penn later at 17 and Penn was very different than my high school my high school was religious Penn was is not religious it's a it's a private university um it's not religiously affiliated mm -hmm. so where was ever really any conversation about faith and mental health maybe in these niche spaces but it wasn't a mainstream conversation and I began to realize that in the Ivy League a lot of students struggle with their mental health because of the pressure of academics of getting a job of making straight A's and for the first time in your life, you know, many people who come to these schools are used to being the top dog. They're used to everything coming easy. So for the first time in your life, you're in a class where you might get a C, you know, like it's super hard. The other students, you might think they're smarter than you because they're just wheezing, whizzing through the material mm -hmm. and you're comparing yourself. Someone might have the cool startup that you wanted to have, but you don't have. Somebody else might have the cool and coveted job offer that you've dreamed about for your entire life. So because you're in such a high achieving um, environment, it can cause you to feel like you don't belong. It can mm -hmm. cause you to feel as if you don't really have a place. And I, I felt that way, but I decided not to sit in my feelings. I decided to do something about it. So that led me to Penn Benjamins as a peer counselor. So I began hearing from students about their mental health. And at the same time, I had joined the choir. So I was singing for a choir. I'm not really a singer, but one of my friends wanted to join the choir. So there's this choir called New Spirit of Penn. It was a gospel choir. And from there, people told me about Penn for Jesus. For, from there, people told me about um, Penn's religious life a department, which is called SPARC, Spiritual and Religious Life Center. And um, I just began, you know, getting into both worlds. And I realized I'm like, hey, so on Fridays, I'm talking to these students about their mental health, but I wish they could attend like this service or they get, could get to know these people and on the interfaith board. And I think like we're talking about both things in both spaces, mm -hmm. but we're not necessarily collaborating. So I began to ask myself these questions of why is there this gap? Why is there mm -hmm. this gap? I really felt like as, as much as peer counseling is great for people, I also think people need preventative tools to maintain their mental health themselves. Mm -hmm. And it always was like peer counseling to therapy pipeline. And I get that. But at the same time, I also favor a proactive approach and the approach that I saw in the faith-based circles where they would have meditation hours and mindfulness hours, and there would be prayers and reflections and readings. And I felt like we just have to combine both worlds. We have to make it so that both worlds collide. And I think that's where Still Knowing came in. Nice. Okay, great. And then, um, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking too, that most of the time I think in religious circles or even faith-based circles, you also learn the concept of surrender. And I feel like the concept of surrender also allows you to release some of those emotions and some of those things that might be bringing you down even further in whatever mental illness or, or hardship you might have. 
and and getting to that like surrender point lets you walk through it with ease because you're kind of casting it to something else. So it's really interesting that you brought that up because I feel like personally myself, I've experienced that too. And when I when I take a step back and I remove any kind of particular faith that's connected to surrender, I do also think of meditation being the same practice. It's just in a different lens, but it's the same thing where you just see what it is and you let it go. Um, so this is why I'm very excited about still knowing because I can see how there's a lot of very necessary overlap, but very different approaches. So I am just very interested in seeing how you're going to develop all of this because I don't know, I feel like having experienced it myself and all of that, it's like, oh, this is going to be great. Like this is, yeah, I really hope it catches fire and, and just moves forward because it's so, it's so important. And I think it's really easy to see the overlap between so many different practices. So yeah, absolutely. I think what the a major reason how I was able to come up with this idea is because I stepped out of my own bubble as a Christian mm-hmm. and attended an interfaith, two actual interfaith experiences, one being a fellowship and one being a class. So I took a class at Penn called I Believe, where I encountered like Judaism, I encountered um, Christianity again, um, Islam, I encountered Buddhism, I encountered a lot of different faith practices. I mean, the list was so long. It was like every week we had a different faith practitioner and we were mm-hmm. reading texts from different faith leaders. We also went on a trip where we visited a Quaker, I don't want to call it church, but we visited like a Quaker monument and we learned about like the Quaker faith and all those other things. So I became very, I guess, literate and and my understanding of other faiths. And I began to realize, well, there are common threads amongst all of these faiths. And I believe, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I promote that. But I also believe that I want people to gain the resources and gain this interfaith education, because I think it's necessary, even as someone who belongs to one faith, it's necessary to learn about other faiths. And I think that's one of the powers of still knowing that it will be an interfaith space mm-hmm. because it's necessary to learn and become literate in other faiths, to know how to reach people, to know how to speak mm-hmm. their language. And then when you take that mental health aspect and combine it, it makes you a very proficient citizen and individual. You know, you become someone that can your spirit is a is a conduit for um your spiritual life, excuse me, is a conduit for not only your healing, but the healing of others. Oh and I think gosh. that's exactly where I want people to be mentally. But there's a lot of processes involved, mm-hmm. a lot of iteration involved. Woo, like just even sketching out the product is tough because it's yeah. like we're taking this very metaphysical concept yep. and trying to make it tangible and accessible. I also know that Gen Z is experiencing decreasing religiosity alongside decreasing mental health. Mm. And um, it's, it's a problem, you know, it is a problem. And I think spiritual health, I forgot what book I read, but spiritual health is a dimension of wellness. So are we really well, if we haven't defined our spiritual beliefs? Well, right. Right. Yeah. And, and even if you haven't even addressed it, right. Like we all have this capacity for spiritual wellness or just spirituality in general, and I can name quite a few people who probably have never even embarked or or acknowledged it in any capacity. And I, and I think you're so right with what you said that like when you start to journey on that spiritual side for yourself, you also know how to take care of others. Mm-hmm. So that's my goodness. I I can't agree more with you. So I think with with your your observation that Gen Z is not really religious 
and they're also really struggling with mental health. Um, would you say that you've noticed a, a trend of individuals who are deconstructing their faith? And if so, why do you think that that's happening? Yeah, I think that's happening. That is happening. Yeah. And I think it's happening for a couple of reasons. I think we're starting to realize that our, as much as we we found solace in the faith growing up where we might've mm -hmm. been raised in families of a certain faith. We're realizing, Hey, well, there's sexism here. There's mm -hmm. racism here. We're beginning to, we're beginning to unearth the issues. And I think what makes me unique as a founder for, for this is that I come from a DEI background. Yeah. So my, my first organization identity is a DEI organization. So the same lens of inclusivity applied to DEI and identity, I plan to apply to still knowing because I understand that I think spiritual um, and mental wellness, I, I call it like 3.0, you know, in the digital age requires that lens, requires that education where we're not sweeping things under the rug and we're mm -hmm. not going to act like everything in this faith is perfect. We want it to be a place where you can question, ask questions and we might not be able to give you clarity. Uh, we cannot promise that, but we can promise a sense of self-understanding because you mm -hmm. have, and you will be armed with information. And I think the reason why people are deconstructing their faith is when they point out, well, this doesn't align with what I believe to be true. They're being shunned by their faith, you know, and we do live in a very progressive, I guess you would say a progressive time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are, you know, they're getting rid of, the different colonial quote unquote mm. mindsets that are present in many faiths. So I do think that one of the ways that still knowing is going to be powerful is by providing that intersectional lens to the topic of faith, but also helping faith leaders. A huge part of this can't go into everything, but a huge part of the innovation is actually helping faith leaders to become more approachable to Gen Z and Gen Alpha because that in itself yes. <laughs> is something, you know, yes. so approachability is something. So approachability through community and a safe space to ask these questions. And we cannot promise clarity because no one knows what the Quran, you know, was, no one was there while it was written. No one was there while the Bible was written. So we mm -hmm. cannot really promise the clarity per se, but we can promise a self-understanding and a community of those that will help you to seek that understanding for yourself. Yeah. That's amazing. And mm -hmm. in within still knowing, do you plan on having maybe like a section for um, like spiritual leaders to kind of become more equipped with how to address mental health? There are a bit of programs doing that. Okay. Um, I, I do have, a, I'm thinking of a role in a position for the spiritual leaders and an okay. incentive for them. Um, I feel like that's a part of the package too, because it's like, how do you, how do you do this in a way that reaches people? A huge way that people are being fed spiritually is actually through social media. Mm -hmm. And it's sad because it's like, well, people are no longer coming to the church per se, or the temple to get the instruction. They're going online mm -hmm. and looking for people online. So a huge part of where we will come in and help faith leaders is by giving them access on the platform to start being authentic being approachable, being relatable, deconstructing those barriers that mm -hmm. often stand in the way of them and, you know, the people that they're trying to serve. Also for mental health leaders as well, a lot of people find out about mental health practitioners through YouTube and other things. So we really want mental health to practice engaging um, not only with faith leaders, but also with clientele, potential clientele in a safe space where you're not trying to say, hey, I'm a therapist. Mm -hmm. You're coming you're coming to them as a human being. Mm. And I think that's why the spiritual emphasis 
and the mental health emphasis is needed for both sides because I feel like yeah. both sides have a skill set but yes. they're not as well-rounded as they can be so we really want to help them to meet in the middle yeah. and figure out leaders how can I be more approachable how can I be more I don't want to say practical but um, as disseminate my knowledge in practical ways that invite and invigorate people. But mm-hmm. for mental health practitioners, how can I not try to give everyone therapy? How can I just hold space with someone um, and, and allow them to be them and come to them as a person and being? Because I think as a member of Gen Z, we really crave authenticity in therapists, in life coaches, in counselors. We crave authenticity. And a lot of therapists have this like notebook. Let me just write down. No, 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 no. Like interact as a human, you know? So I think that's also what we're trying to do. Like just deconstruct the way that faith leaders and mental health leaders approach both topics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to, to be a little bit more vulnerable with you too. Um, I am very grateful that you are tackling this because I wish that there were, <laughs> I wish that this existed for some of the religious leaders that I was interacting with as I grew up. Um, because there were moments where I shared my mental health and I was kind of slapped with a prayer and then I was told to move on. And I know not, I like, it's kind of a crazy thing. And I know now why that happened for some of the reasons that you said, because I think there are breeding grounds for just a whole miscommunication process in, in religious groups. Um, but you know, I, I I have had to kind of deconstruct myself and say like, okay, but I'm not, I'm not like a crazy person for feeling how I was feeling. And I just, unfortunately was with a few leaders who didn't know how to step into that space with me and hold it and then make me feel safe. So, you know, and I, I've given enough, like, I think distance between those interactions and things that I, I can give grace and I can totally see what was there, but this is just one of the reasons why I'm so excited that you are tackling this and providing spaces for the mental health side and then also the the spiritual leader side because there really is something at the core that we're aching for that I'm aching for so really like I want to thank you for just starting the conversation and then moving this forward so big thank you for me to you <laughs> on the back end it was a lot so I spent a couple months just thinking about what the what the structure would look like like because it's one of those things where I was tied between like, well, is this really a business when I'm mm-hmm. trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I don't want to say heal people, but I'm trying to help people access their healing. Is right. this really a business model? So I, I spent like months thinking about it. And I feel like now I'm getting more clarity that this, this doesn't have to necessarily be a venture backed business. That's not really the goal. It's more so an awareness business an awareness mm-hmm. product. Um, not necessarily a nonprofit because, you know, got to pay the bills, <laughs> but it is, um, it is, a it, it is a business essentially. Yeah. It is like a social event It has a double bottom line. Like we're also trying to achieve awareness um, as much as we're trying to achieve um, this thing of going out there and making sure that people actually have the resource that they need to access the community and the education and the practitioners that can help them on their way. So that's kind of what it will look like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, really excited to start building out the product. Yeah. That's what I'm excited for. And I think yeah. that's like the next update um, that I'll have before the end of the cohort. Yeah. I'll have like a okay. product. So that should be really cool. Thank you yeah. to the school for that. Yeah, of course, of course. So then I think you kind of touched on it already a little bit, but 
maybe there's, when I ask the question, it'll kind of bring something else out. What are your hopes for your growth for still knowing? So I think end goal, what is it in a perfect world? What is it going to look like? Yeah. So right now I'm trying to build up the advisory. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to think about like surrounding myself with experts. I have like a neuroscience grad. Um, I have some young people in the faith and then I'm also looking for some mental health practitioners right now. Okay. So my goal, my number one goal is like for it to be community, community space, community-based platform. I think we have a lot of platforms that are filled with ads and a bunch of other garbage trying to market to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to be a platform that puts the community first mm-hmm. and allows people to go through an immersive experience, um, which I call Ooh, well, I don't want to call it the voyage, but basically an immersive experience where they begin to collaborate within this space, uh, really just create a space for collaboration across faith, mental health lines, um, giving people the tools. So that I think that's really just the, the hope for the growth is that the community will take place. Um, but I also feel like a part of me, um, I, I always say it's a, it's an experience. It's a community. It's a lifestyle brand. So mm-hmm. a part of me also wants still knowing to eventually expand into a lifestyle brand. I really like the thought of, because all of it will be digital, the thought of having tangible products alongside the experience, maybe a subscription or something related to that, um, that helps people as they're going through this, like immersive experience digitally, actually having like a box sent to your house of resources, of books, of uh, pamphlets, of um, stress balls, of like reminders of like, mm-hmm. hey, like you're on this journey. So I'm thinking a lot about that too. And there are many different ways to package wellness. Um, but as long as we stay under the umbrella of faith and mental health, the creativity is infinite. And, and I think that there are different ideas that will come up. But overall, the goal is to create this secure community and space where people feel safe enough to be themselves, ask these questions, try on different resources, um, try out different faiths, you know, mm-hmm. really gain that experience of experimentation in the development of an identity. Because I think that's not really happening now. And and understanding that spiritual wellness is a part of wellness and as, yeah. as well as emotional wellness and they must be fused. So that's really my hope for the growth. Um, I would love if still knowing can be, I always say like the number one platform that Gen Z and Gen Alpha and even beyond, but it's more catered towards Gen Z and Gen Alpha mm-hmm. that people go to when they're in search of what they believe. Yeah. yeah. And why. Right. And yeah. how that connects to their overall mental health. That's mm-hmm. what I want. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, man. Part of me th- wishes I was Gen Z <laughs> yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I know that you like back when we started our interviews with the cohort and everything, you kind of started with this idea, but now you have this really developed like everything. And I, I was even there when you were talking about like nonprofit or not, like, what is this? Um, mm-hmm. What has your what has your experience been like so far as an innovator with our cohort? Like what what has that been about? Yeah, so I think it's been a lot of thinking and I wasn't prepared for it to be so much thinking. Mm-hmm. Um I thought I was going to just hit the ground running and like mm-hmm. have this idea and have this um this thing, but I had to keep on thinking and going back and forth. Um a lot of conversations with my mentor about what this will look like. And I think that's what I kept on trying to do, go to the drawing board, think about what it will look like. And it took me a while to gain clarity. And I never really thought that it would take me a while to gain clarity, but I always said, okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm talking to people that I know might be interested. I'm trying to synthesize this data. So uh, the first month it was nonprofit 
that was really the the goal of like getting clarity around that even in the first month I was still going back and forth but what I started to do is I started to apply to programs so I started to apply to like um incubator startup schools I was like okay let me put this in the hands of God like let me practice what I, <laughs> what, what I'm trying to put out there. So I began to like put it in God's hands and he just began to reveal to me all the time that like, oh, well, I want it to be, I want it to be a, a for-profit and if for this reason, why? And I began thinking about, okay, well now I have to structure it as a for-profit, but I, I planned the like digital immersive experience and all of that stuff. I had already sketched that out, but the one thing I was thinking is, is this a non and I was going back and forth, but I realized I'm like, okay, I can structure this as a business so that eventually if it does well, can attract investment, can eventually scale it and take it to reach more people. Um, the reason why I didn't go with a nonprofit is number one, I already have a nonprofit and I know how difficult they can be yeah. um, from a legal perspective, from mm -hmm. a governance perspective. They're very difficult. And I was like, well, I'm a solo founder for that and this. I don't know if I can handle both. And I just had to be real with myself. But I also realized that still knowing's mission is one that I want to bring to scale. Yeah. If it's successful. And with that, I'm going to have to create an investor-friendly organizational structure. Mm -hmm. um, I began thinking about that too. And I began thinking about like, how do you, how do I eventually build a team? You know, um, I'm going to start doing that in the next coming months by providing people with equity, like having an equity split, like doing different things that can incentivize mm -hmm. team building in the early stage. So I think I just realized that still knowing is a for-profit, is a, is a for-profit business and that mm -hmm. dawned on me. But from there, I began putting everything together. So I realized that the program, the Voyager program, which is basically where we um, provide people with the faith and mental health resources and conversations in a digital atmosphere, mm -hmm. that's basically like a market research program. I'm using that for the purpose of, um, of testing, of getting to know my target consumer while yeah. still developing a product alongside that. And then um, eventually continuing to develop the product, um, continuing to, to, pro to provide new offerings. And I feel like I just have to start and then I'll, I'll get there. This community first model where it's like building the community first in conjunction with building the product. And then from there, move on. And a lot of people will say, well, are you charging the community? I'm not charging the community. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a customer acquisition cost that you have to pay upfront. Yeah. So I'm willing to put in the work to find, to find the customers, um, to get them to trust the community before starting to monetize. So I, I think I'm also playing the long game, which is yeah. why I don't feel as bad about it being a for-profit business. Cause I know mm -hmm. I'm not coming with the intention to rob or steal from anyone, you right. know? Yeah. That's incredible. What what kind of support have you received so far from whether that's like with your mentor or with the cohorts? Um, or is there anything else that you might be kind of needing from us as we kind of round out until about June? Yeah. So I, I think David has been a good like thought partner. Mm -hmm. Um, he's my mentor. He well, he's my mentor. He's been a good thought partner. I think one of the things that I felt bad about was coming to him with so many questions and no like <laughs> concrete stuff, but he took me to the point where I told him over email. I was like, I know you're busy. I can take it from here. Thank you so much. Cause I felt like he gave me a lot in the first yeah. three. We really got it all out. I asked pretty much every question I had. I know he has a background in like community building. So he gave me that. But at the same time, I began to realize, well, I want it to be a business and I'm standing on that. Mm -hmm. So I do think that through him testing my ideas, 
I gain clarity and I have to thank him for that because I think sometimes we, we shy away from being challenged. He definitely challenged me on my ideas and my merits a lot, but I realized, well, that helped me to gain clarity. So I'm thankful to him for that. And now I'm just focusing more on the external efforts. So building mm-hmm. out the advisory, um, starting to build the product, starting to get the, the first customers, like that's the mindset that I'm in right now. But I'm glad that I had that support in the ideation phase to mm-hmm. kind of think things through. I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm happy that I had that support. With the cohort, I feel like I just connected with people who have similar interests. I've just connected with people who um, really understand what it's like to want to be a part of this mental health, you know, digital wellness space. And it's definitely not easy. I don't know many people who want to be um, involved in the space in my personal life, but I was connected with so many people who are doing projects on consent and they're doing projects on all these crazy, let me not say crazy things. Like there is literally a a podcast called Control Z. Like what? (laughs) You know, like, I'm like, what? That makes no, that makes no sense, but it makes perfect sense. Right, yeah. (laughs) But it makes perfect sense. And I think like the innovation coming from this cohort is really crazy and really grateful to be a part of this sort of community. I feel like I haven't even leveraged the community as much as I can. Um, but I know as still knowing continues to grow, I'll be able to leverage many of the people from this cohort, ask them to come on the platform and talk about what they're doing for mental health or consent or stuff like that. You know, we've already talked about partnerships from now. So I think we're, I think it's really for me, good to be around people who care about what I care about. Right. And I think that's what the cohort is giving me. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm so glad to hear that too. And as, as you're saying that, I thought like, well, you even now, because you're connected with us at Look Up, we have so many other people that you haven't met yet that we could absolutely forge that connection. So you can have even more people who are like-minded, same age, working alongside you. Um, and that will, that, that will be there for forever, for as long as you need it. We will be here to be able to make those connections for you too, as you're kind of stepping into this second phase. So, um, yeah, so don't, don't think that that's going to go away anytime soon. That's there for you whenever, um, So yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that too. Um, Now, as you are moving on, how can young people get connected to you and to still knowing? I know that this is probably like leagues away still, but is there anything on our radar that we can put? It's a bit early right now. um, We do have a LinkedIn page, just like a business page. Um, Mm -hmm. The website is still being built. Um, It's yeah. So I'm really like very into design. So <laughs> I've still been designing the website, but it is a beautiful website. I've been looking at it. It's really beautiful, but I'm designing it. Um, so we're su- we're going to be on social media soon. Okay. We're going to be on TikTok soon. So you'll be able to add like all that stuff. Um, but right now, all we really have is LinkedIn page. So we don't really have much. There's no real way to get in contact with still knowing except to email me um, okay. or hit me up on LinkedIn, okay. um, or Twitter. That would be great um, because I'm on there. But still knowing is still in the, it's still in the incubation process. So all we really do have is a LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, um, you can follow us there and then get updated. We're going to start building the wait list soon, but okay. right now there's no real way except joining LinkedIn or following me on Twitter um, at Soraya the Sage. Yeah, I think it's my Twitter, Soraya the Sage, or emailing me at my email, which I will give to you to put okay. in the Great. Yeah. And I'll make sure to include all of those links and everything in our show notes below so that any of the listeners out there can easily just connect with you. And um, I'm going to also maybe wait to put my name on the waiting list too, if that's okay. (laughs) 
yeah no definitely I think yeah. like it's, it's like a silent killer mm-hmm. <laughs> like random people just keep following the LinkedIn page so I do think we're I do think we're getting a little bit even without any promotion people are just curious so yeah. I think that's like I, that's an honor because I'm like I've done no promotion right yeah. but people are just curious so I think that's a good mm-hmm. thing yeah that is so encouraging oh my goodness I'm so happy for you that's incredible. Now, as we close out, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Maybe you have like suggestions or tips or things to look out for. Yeah, I don't really suggestions for like anything. founders or anything. Um, so what I will say is I'm, I'm a solo founder for this. Okay. And uh, I want to talk about that because I think that's a significant experience. So mm-hmm. I tried to get a co-founder for still knowing I talked to everyone I was like well are you gonna join me with this and everyone was just like hey it sounds like a great concept but no and what I realized is one of my favorite singers the vision um, the vision is for those who see it right the vision belongs to the one who sees it so what I would tell anyone is if you're saying like hey I don't have a team yet I don't have people around me I don't want to do this What I will tell you is go out there, put yourself out there, but don't be afraid to solo found your company if you need to. Because I think that um, there are programs like the program I'm doing, Square One Startup School, that are for solo founders. You know, there are programs specifically for people who are solo founders that focus on getting you to start your team. So I think there's no, I don't want anyone to listen to me and be like, you know, I need to wait until I have everything together. No, Mm -hmm. you do not. I always say like entrepreneurship is a game of risk, but it also is a game of action out there and do something. And I'm glad that I applied to look up, um, not even knowing what the team would look like, not even knowing what the product would look like, just having a, an idea and that I believed in very deeply and just taking that jump. So what I would tell anyone is even if you don't have a team, even if you don't have a hundred percent clarity, there are that will help you to incubate your idea, design your product, find your first customers, align yourself with these programs, align yeah. yourself with these people and go out there and, and take those risks because you need to. So I'm glad that um, I think about like, if I didn't have the bravery to do that, still knowing wouldn't be on its way today. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think about for all my solo founders out there, um, be encouraged because it's not easy, but you have the vision because it belongs to you your support and other provisions still still do it you'll be surprised how like I've given this elevator pitch time and time again and people are like well it sounds cool but I'm just not interested and I feel sometimes I feel defeated because it's like oh my god like I can't get anyone to agree with me but I I'm glad that this is my second venture because with my first venture nobody wanted to join me on that one either and now it has succeeded and it's yeah. doing pretty well so now people say oh well I'm interested in joining now it's like oh y'all are interested in joining now but you didn't <laughs> want to join me when it was just an idea right so I feel like um for all of my fellow like visionaries out there you know people idea people crazy idea people believe in yourself because eventually people will see what you're doing and they'll want to join you but be brave enough to start and I think that's what I want to talk about you know my solo founding journey through this yeah amazing Thank you for, for saying that it's, it's so important. And this is something that has been repeating. I've had a few other interviews with our um, innovators for this cohort, and they say the same thing that you said, like, you just have to start to start no risk, no reward. And most of the time you're going to learn from your missteps and then you'll have something even better. So 
I just want to affirm that and and validate what you said because oh my gosh, it's it's so true. So so true. And I'm so glad that we have you to to walk with as we're going through this cohort because there's something here. There really is. And I just want to encourage you even more so because it's it's I'm patiently waiting for it myself too. So yeah, it's great. I just got a shout out look up because y'all were like the first ones to believe in it and now other people are believing in it. So I think Amazing. that that's something that is great and I'm grateful for a look up as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for being here. As I said, we're so excited to see your your next steps. And if in the future you you have an update or something happens with Still Knowing and you want to let us know again, we'll have you back on the podcast and everything like that. So thank you, Saraya, for being here. We are so, so grateful. And thank you to all of our listeners. As I said, all of the important links and everything that you might want to connect with will be in the show notes below, and we will catch you at our next episode. Thanks, Saraya. Bye.